Chapter Three of Revolted Woman by Charles George Harper. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Woman in Art, Literature, Politics, and Social Polity. In these days, when women begin to talk of their work with all the zeal and religious fervor that characterizes the attitude of the savage towards his fetish, it behoves us to inquire what that work may be which arouses so much enthusiasm and is the cause of the cool insolence which is becoming more and more the note of the new woman a very little inquiry soon convinces the seeker after the true inwardness of modern fads and fancies that woman's work so to spell it in capitals in the manner dear to the hearts of the unsexed men and women who reckon adam a humbug and eve the most despitefully entreated of her adorable sex has nothing to do with the upbringing of children or the management of the home those traditional duties are nothing less if you please than the slavery which man's tyranny has imposed upon the physically weaker sex and are not worthy of sharing the aristocratic prominence of capital letters which the desultory following of arts and sciences has arrogated modern doctrinaires preach heresies which would make miserable that very strong man st paul who constantly enjoined woman to silence and submission place aux dames is the century-end watchword in a sense very different from the distinguished consideration which the dames of years bygone received place aux dames is all very well as some one has somewhere said but then dames in their place which with all possible deference to the femininely influenced philosophers of to-day is not in politics nor in any arts or sciences whatever those who so blithely advocate the throwing open of the professions to woman and invite her to work with them side by side in works of practical philanthropy base their arguments on false premises they assume at starting that womankind has been throughout the centuries in an arrested condition her mental and bodily growth has they say been retarded by cunningly devised restrictions she has not been permitted to develop or to reach maturity she is in short according to these views undeveloped man rather than a separate and fully developed sex those views are of course merely fallacies of the most unstable kind woman's place and functions have been definitely fixed for her by nature and those functions and that place are to be the handmaid of man or the hand matron if you like it better and to be the mother of his children and her place is the home her physical and mental limitations are subtly contrived by nature to keep woman in the home and engrossed in domestic matters and really if abuse is needed at all man does not deserve it but to nature belongs the epithet of tyrant if an owner must be found for the unenviable distinction woman is essentially narrow-minded and individualistic her time has ever been fleeted in working for the individual 
and the community would be badly off at this day had not the state been thoroughly masculine for a time that goes back beyond the historians into the regions of myths and fairy tales small brains cannot engender great thoughts which is but another way of saying that woman's brain is less than man's it is only recently that woman has organized her forces at all and she would not have done so even now had she not a plentiful lack of anything to occupy her thoughts withal in these days of the subdivision of labor and of extended luxury and so with plenty of time to spare she begins to ask if there is nothing that becomes her better than the suckling of fools and the chronicling of small beer but although carlyle said in his wrath that men and women were mostly fools yet there be children nourished with nature's food who have developed a certain force of intellect and as for the chronicles of small beer gossip and scandal-mongering have never been compulsory in women but only unwelcome features of their nature idleness luxury and the supreme consideration with which even the most foolish feminine manifestations have been received have always been fruitful sources of mischief and this bypassed consideration has favored the development of vanity and the growth of the feminine ego to its present proportions woman never becomes more than an ineffectual amateur in all the careers she enters her practice in art and literature inevitably debases art and letters for she is a copyist at most in literature she never originates but appropriates and assimilates men's thoughts and in the transcription of those thoughts seldom rises above the use of clichés but the modern woman desires most ardently to enter those spheres of mental and technical activity undeterred by any disheartening doubts of her fitness for letters or government of her capacity for organizing or originating she points triumphantly for confirmation of her sex's endowments to the lives and works of the george eliots the harriet martineaus the elizabeth fries the angelica kaufmans or the women of the french political salons but she does not stop to consider that those distinguished women succeeded not because but in spite of their sex and that few of the women who have made what the world terms successful careers had any of the more gracious feminine characteristics beyond their merely physiological attributes many of them were unsexed creatures whose womanhood was an accident of their birth the rush of women into the artistic and literary professions has always had a singularly ill effect upon technique for the woman's mind is normally incapable of rising to an appreciation of the possibilities of any medium they have not even a glimmering perception of style and would as cheerfully if not indeed with greater readiness acclaim dagonet a poet as they would the swan of avon though the gulf that divides shakespeare from mr g r sims is not only one formed by lapse of the centuries to them the works of miss braddon appear as the ultimate expression of the passions and they would as readily label a painting by velasquez nice 
as they would call the productions of mr dudley hardy awfully jolly subject rather than execution wins their admiration and the nerveless handling of a painting whose subject appeals to their imagination wins their praise while the highest attainments of technique are disregarded for them does mr w p frith paint the derby day and so clean for their delight are the dog and dolly pictures of mr burton barber the canoe talk the peep-bow and pussy-cat stories in paint contrived and for their ultimate satisfaction are they reproduced as coloured supplements in the summer and christmas numbers of the illustrated papers you may count distinguished women artists upon the fingers of your hands with some fingers to spare and some of these achieved their fame by reason of their womanhood rather than the excellence of their art angelica kaufman is a notable example she attained the unique position of a female royal academician through reynolds's infatuation she painted portraits and classical compositions innumerable but the portraits are poor and her classicism the most futile and emasculate literature too although more women have made reputations with the pen than the brush can show but a very small proportion of feminine genius and although the ultimate verdict of the critics may yet depose these charlotte bronte fanny burney and george eliot are the most outstanding names in this department these few names compare with an intolerable deal of mediocrity cosseted and sheltered from the adverse winds of criticism in its little day but yet so constitutionally weak that it has withered and died out of all knowledge the women who like george eliot and her modern successor mrs humphrey ward adventure into ethical novels are too excruciatingly serious and possessed with too solemn a conviction of their infallibility for much patient endurance and really when one remembers the spectacle of g h lewis truckling to the critics intriguing for favourable reviews and endeavouring to stultify editors for the sake of his george eliot in order that no breath of adverse criticism and no wholesome wind from the outer world should come to dispel her colossal conceit we obtain a curious peep into the methods by which the feminine ego is nourished but the spectacle is no less pitiful than strange it is not often however that women writers present us with philosophical treatises in the guise of novels their high-water mark of workmanship is the family herald type of story-telling even as crystoleum painting and macrame work exhaust the energies and imagination of the majority of women art workers what also is to say of the lady novelists heroes of godlike grace and the mental attributes of the complete prig what but that if we collate the masculine characters of even the better known and presumably less foolish feminine novels we shall find woman's ideal in man to be the sybaritic guardsman the loathly languorous apollos who recline on divans smoke impossibly fragrant cigarettes 
gossip about their affaire de coeur and wave jewelled fingers repellent combinations of braggart prig and knight errant with the thews and sinews of a samson and the morals of a mudlark philanthropy is a field upon which the modern woman enters with an enthusiasm that unfortunately is very much greater than her sense her care is for the individual and she it is who encourages indiscriminate almsgiving but cannot understand the practical philanthropy which compels men to work for a wage or organizes vast schemes of relief works her whole nature is individualistic and we would not have it otherwise for it has in many instances of womanly women made homes happy and comfortable and nerved men in the larger philanthropy which succors without pauperizing thousands but she has no business outside the home philanthropy of sorts we have always with us and the undeserving need never lack shelter and support in a disgraceful idleness while the tender-hearted or the hysterical amateur relieving officers are permitted to make fools of themselves and rogues and vagabonds of the lazy wastrels who will never do an honest day's work so long as a subsistence is to be got by begging the fashionable occupation of slumming made many more paupers than it relieved and the darkest england cry of mr william booth whom foolish folk call by the title of general he arrogates is the most notorious exhibition of sentimentalism in recent years that appeal to the charitable and pitiful folks of england was like the salvation army itself engineered by the late mrs catherine booth and it captured many thousands of pounds wherewith to succour the unfit the criminal the unwashed the very scum and dregs of the race whom merciless nature cruel to be kind had doomed to early extinction but mouthing and tearful sentimentality has interfered with beneficent natural processes and the depraved and ineffectual are helped to a longer term of existence that they may transmit their bodily and mental diseases to another generation and so foul the blood and stunt the growth of the nation in years to come science anthropology and economics have no meaning for the femininely influenced founders of salvation army doss houses the body politic society in the larger sense national life are phrases that convey no meaning to the sobbing philanthropists to whom the welfare of the dosser is a creed and darwinian theories rank blasphemy the tendency of sentimental philanthropy is to relieve all alike from the consequences of their misdeeds and to preserve the worst and the unfittest and to enable the worst to compete at an advantage with the best and to freely propagate its rickety kind philanthropy of this pernicious sort is essentially sentimental and feminine but the most disastrous interference up to the present of sentimental fanatics women and femininely influenced men has been their successful campaign against those beneficent acts of parliament 
the contagious diseases acts framed from time to time for the protection of her majesty's forces of the army and navy those acts applied to the garrison towns and the dockyard towns of aldershot chatham plymouth dover canterbury windsor southampton and others provided for the registration and compulsory periodical medical examination of the public women who infest the streets of those places horrible diseases spread by these abandoned creatures decimated the regiments and the crews of the ships that put in at their ports and thus through them the blood of future generations was poisoned and contaminated the women whose depravity and disease spread foul disorders among not only the soldiers and sailors but also amongst the civil populations of these garrison towns were free before the application of the c d acts to ply their trade no matter what might be their bodily condition but the operation of those measures at first providing for voluntary inspection and examination and afterwards making those precautions compulsory rendered it a criminal offence for a woman registered by the police to have intercourse with men while knowing that she was suffering from disease such an offence or the offence of not presenting themselves at the examining officer's station at the fortnightly period prescribed by the acts rendered women of this class liable to imprisonment if at these examinations a woman was found to be healthy a certificate was given her if the medical officer certified her to be diseased she was taken by compulsion to hospital and detained there until recovery plymouth aldershot and chatham in especial were in a shocking condition before the acts came into force but during the years in which they were administered by the police a diminution of disease by more than one half was seen in the army and navy and the registration of the women led to a very great falling off of the numbers who obtained so shameful a living evidence given before the royal commission upon the contagious diseases acts in eighteen seventy two proved this beyond question and also proved that these women not only had no objection to the medical examinations but regarded them and the hospitals as very great benefits the shocking revelations as to the social condition of plymouth devonport and stonehouse afforded by the evidence of the police cannot be more than hinted at in this place it is sufficient to say that over two thousand women were put upon the registers either as occasionally or habitually living a loose life and that all classes were to be found in these documents but especially girls employed behind the counters of shops during the day the police seem everywhere to have been conscientious in the execution of their duty and to have performed ungrateful and delicate tasks with great discretion the registers were private and strictly confidential official documents and both the medical examinations and the police visits to suspected houses were conducted with all possible secrecy the police in the latter case being plain clothes men and not readily to be identified by the public and yet in spite of the very evident benefits derived from the acts 
and deposed to before the commission by such unimpeachable authorities as the foremost medical officers of the army and navy commanding officers clergymen of the established church wesleyan ministers the entire medical and nursing staffs of hospitals and the police authorities themselves these acts were repealed in submission to the outcries of the mules and barren women who headed by the rancorous mrs josephine butler and the gushing sentimentalists from the religio-radical benches of the house of commons called public meetings and shrieked and raved upon platforms throughout the country a chorus of shocked spinsters and pure men whose advocacy of what they called forsooth the liberty of the subject and the abolition of what they falsely termed the state licensing of vice has resulted in a liberty accorded these women to spread disease far and wide the nation the men of army and navy have reason abundant to curse the sentimental women the maiden aunts the religieuses the gorgons of a mistaken propriety and a peculiarly harmful prudery whose interference with affairs which they were not competent to direct has wrought such untoward results this is what a writer says in the westminster review the struggle for the repeal of the contagious diseases acts was an ordeal such as men have never been obliged to undergo it involved not merely that women should speak at public meetings which was a great innovation but that they should discuss the most painful of all subjects upon which up to that time even men had not dared to open their mouths yet so nobly did the women bear their part all through those terrible years of trial that they raised a spirit of indignation which swept away the acts but never by word or deed did they deservedly incur reproach themselves rubbish every word of it the women who spoke upon these painful subjects were under no compulsion legal or moral to initiate or take part in the frenzy of wrong-headed emotion which was exhibited upon public platforms to the dismay and disgust of all right-thinking men and women it cannot be conceded that the subject was painful to these persons nor can the statement be allowed to go unchallenged that they did not deserve reproach reproach of the most bitter kind was and is deserved by the prejudiced persons who distorted facts and gladly relied upon any hearsay evidence that would seem to square with their theories and even refused to admit the weight of incontrovertible statistics produced against their rash and windy statements the examinations of mrs josephine butler Footnote she kept no notes or records she desired to forget what she had done many ladies try to benefit these women in different ways not many receive them into their houses a sufficient number of private persons doing this work would obviate the necessity for government machinery witness would wish to keep clear of government aid because government would then assume a right to control the work was too delicate for the state to meddle with she knew nothing of the garrison towns knew most of the north 
declined to give an opinion as to the operation of the acts had no interest in them reminded that she had given her opinion pretty freely at meetings and in publications the witness stated that that was merely in illustration of her views on the constitutional and moral part of the subject no alteration in the acts could reconcile her to them she would be satisfied with nothing but entire repeal witness remembered addressing the secretary at war with reference to a girl named hagar she thought her letter to mr cardwell was a private one she had apologized to mr cardwell for having written in warmth of feeling she was aware that therein she made a charge of gross misconduct against a policeman was not satisfied that she had been entirely mistaken she reported the case on the authority of mr and mrs heritage and of the mother and girl she was aware that the secretary of state ordered an inquiry and that the inspector of hospitals came to the conclusion that there was not a word of truth in what the woman and girl said she believed the woman and girl in preference to dr sloggett she did not know the nature of the evidence on which dr sloggett reported to the secretary of state and was still disposed to believe the woman and girl her speeches had often been incorrectly reported she did say at nottingham that the promoters of the acts did not dare to ask the queen to sign such a measure during the life of prince albert but did not say as reported that her majesty signed the act believing it to be a cattle bill she considered any reformations under the acts accidental and doubted whether as brought about by the acts reformation was a benefit she would take no legal measures for prevention of the infection of infants by diseased parents only moral means End of footnote. the examinations of mrs josephine butler and of those two ridiculous persons the unitarian pastor from southampton and his wife mr and mrs kell are damning indictments of their good faith and good sense these are types of women and womanish men who take delight in the investigation of pruriency whose noses are in every cesspool and their hands in the nearest muck-heap their kind stop at nothing in the way of unfounded statements and are greedy of rumour rather than of accredited facts want of acquaintance with or experience of the subjects they dogmatise upon deterred them as little then as now from case-hardened obstinacy and perhaps no one cut such a sorry figure before the commission as that illogical and contradictory person the late john stuart mill the femininely influenced author of the nowadays somewhat discredited subjection of women his chief ground for objection to the system of the c d acts was on the score of the infringement of personal liberty i e the liberty to spread loathsome diseases but he considered it also objectionable for the government to provide securities against the consequences of immorality it is a different thing to remedy the consequences after they occur as who should say in the manner of the proverb lock the stable door when the horse has been stolen 
this sham philosopher and political economist of ill-argued theories who is to-day honoured by an uncomfortable and ungainly statue on the victoria embankment forgot that england has not achieved her greatness by the study or practice of morality and shall we fall thus late in the day by a quixotic observance of it the sooner the statue of this woman's advocate is cast into the thames or melted down the better woman's influence and interference in these matters have proved an unmixed evil it would be hopeless however to convince her of error as well might one attempt to hustle an elephant political women are fortunately rare in england a duchess of devonshire a lady palmerston and the politico-social dames of the primrose league these are all the chiefest and most readily cited female politicians and their interest was and is not so much in the success or defeat of this party or the other as in the return of their favoured candidate or the failure of a pet aversion politics have no real meaning for women their natures do not permit of their comprehension of national and international questions what does empire signify to woman if her little world is distracted and what is a revolted province to her as against a broken plate the fates preserve us from female suffrage for give women votes and patriotism is swamped by the only women who would care to exercise the privilege of voting the clamorous new woman all crotchets fads and radical nostrums for the regeneration of the parish and the benevolent treatment of subjugated races in an empire won by the sword and retained by might End of chapter three